You see, I believe that we're living in a now moment for such a time as this. It's no dink that we're all here, breathing the same air, having the same hopes, having the same fire in our hearts, believing for the same things. I believe that today is actually a now day. It's a critical day. I really believe that. Would you guys join me in faith that today is a now day? Okay? So I believe that this generation's yes and today's yes is the tipping tipping point to the worldwide revival. A revived church results in a revived city. And the Lord woke me up this morning to this song. If it's got to start someplace, why not here? If it's got to start sometime, why not now? Now, will you guys agree with me in the Spirit, in your heart of hearts? Will you say, why not with me? And will you say yes with me? Will you say today can be the day of monumental revival beginning in our hearts, beginning in our body, beginning in our city, outpouring into the world around us? Will you say yes with me? Then let me hear it. Amen. All right. Um, So... Richie, will you come up here? Will you guys stand with me real quick and clap for Richie? We're going to welcome. Come on. Yeah. (laughs) Yes. That's awesome. The Lord spoke to me last night. He said, you receive a a, a prophet, uh, you receive the prophet's reward. If you receive an evangelist, you receive the evangelist's reward. And, and today, we're receiving the evangelist into this house. We're welcoming the words that, are, that he carries, the words that the Lord is pouring out through him into us. Richie's quickly becoming not only a good friend of mine, he's becoming a brother in Christ that fires me up and gets me stirred for revival. If you're not following him on Facebook yet, do it before the end of the day because you will continually to get, you'll get stoked daily just by hanging around that guy in his Facebook feed. Um, so if you want to get encouraged, do that. Uh, and will you guys all extend your hand with me? I know some of you might be saying, why, why are we extending our hands to the north, the south, and the east, and the west? Well, if, if you're new to this body, uh, it, it's not only is an act of participation in faith, but if you have Jesus inside of you, you have the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead. It lives in you. There's authority in your words. There's authority in what you carry. So when, it's not just a light act. When you extend your hand to bless someone, it's an act of faith, and it's powerful. And so we're going to extend our hands right now in faith towards Richie, and we're going to bless him. So Jesus, we bless Richie Seltzer. We bless, Lord, his life, his family that's at home, Lord, that, um, that, that sacrificed to let him be here with us. God, we bless. We receive him. Lord, as an evangelist to the body of Christ for the equipping of the saints, God. And we receive the word, that, Lord, that you want to impart to our body, into our hearts, through him today. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 So good. So good, man. Well, I'm excited. Thanks for having me here, guys. I'm really excited. It's been a while since I've known uh, Joe and the other ones that I met. I met a a bunch of guys here I don't know, at Azusa now, a couple years ago, by divine appointments, I've been following along with what God's been doing here. I grew up in Newport News, Virginia, uh, and about, I don't know, 13, 14 years ago, I gave my life to Jesus Christ. Before that, I had 18 felonies by the time I was 18 years old. 
Uh, by the time I was 16 years old, I was ejected out of a car, thrown out of the back windshield of a car. My life was a wreck. I was uh, into the party scene. I was a, 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 a highly um, looked at football player uh, playing in the Peninsula District, which you guys would know about because of the Vic brothers and different ones who like to play at Virginia Tech. Uh, I played in that same district and um, was just into the party lifestyle. You know, growing up in Virginia, uh, especially in Newport News, you could throw a rock and hit three churches by accident. You know, there's churches on every corner, churches right beside each other, big churches, you know. So it's impossible to kind of grow up and not know about Jesus, but you can grow up knowing about Jesus and not know Jesus. There's a big difference between knowing about Jesus and knowing him personally as your Lord and Savior. There's a lot of people who might even say that they're Christians, but they don't know Jesus at all. Jesus said this, that in that day, there are many who will come to me saying, Lord, Lord. They'll even call him Lord, Lord. And they'll even do miracles in his name. And he'll say, get away from me. I never knew you. You who practice lawlessness. There's people who even say, Lord, Lord, do miracles in his name and don't know him. But today, I believe that God wants to manifest his presence in a way that we all go away from here saying, truly, I met God and that I'm in wonder in awe of who he is and that we live our life from that revelation of encounter, encountering his love. I pray over my kids every night, God, I pray that they would see your face tonight as they dream and that they would live from the revelation of your countenance towards them all the days of their life. And that's my prayer today, that we would meet with God face to face. I had an encounter when I was 18 years old, and Jesus went from an idea to a reality, and I was instantly born again. My brother, my friends, you know, the ones who I partied with, they said, what happened to you? You're a different person. I even had one of my friends who thought he was insulting me come up with a bottle of Captain Morgan's, a half gallon of Captain Morgan's and a Bible, and say, Richie, you exchanged this addiction for this addiction. He thought he was insulting me as he was doing that. And I said, you're right, man. I'm a new man. I'm a born again man. I love Jesus Christ and I don't care who knows about it. And I remember I went through a process after I got saved. Some people get automatically delivered on the spot, not me. I encountered Jesus and, and I thought I could still drink a little bit and go to parties on Friday because I didn't like being around the Christians. They're just weird people, you know, and kind of odd and, and, and dorky, the people I was going to. You know, I couldn't even watch the games with them or do anything because they were just like, you know, like little kids or something. You know, I don't want to be around these guys on Friday night. So I thought I'll have a few beers and go hang out with my old friends and still be a Christian. And it would turn into 12 beers. And before I knew it, I was absolutely drunk and I was preaching the gospel. <laughs> drunk at parties. You know, I just was only walking in the light that I had. I was still broken, you know, didn't know what I didn't know. And I had people get saved at parties. And I'm not drunk on the good wine. I'm drunk on the bad, you know. But God had mercy on my soul, for it's by grace through faith that we're saved, not of works, but it's his free gift that he's given to us. And it's by his grace that we're saved. And God worked on my heart. I had an encounter where Jesus walked through the wall uh, when I was 18 years old, literally, I, I, God walked through the wall, revealed himself to me, uh, and instantaneously delivered me of all the addictions that I had and told me I would be preaching the gospel around the world. So that's the Reader's Digest version of my testimony, but I want to have a, you to have a little bit of context of where I'm coming from. Here's the thing. I had gotten saved when I was 11 years old at a Baptist church. My family was not you know, walking with Jesus. Nobody knew Jesus. My dad 
you know, had a faith but didn't really know Jesus. My mom got saved so that she could get baptized in, uh, so she get baptized in the church and marry my dad in that Baptist church. You weren't allowed to marry in that church unless you were baptized in that church. But she didn't know Jesus either. So I was raised not knowing Jesus. My parents divorced when I was two years old, raised in an environment of chaos, multiple dads in and out, fighting, chaos, drunkenness, parties. My mom actually married a guy while he was in jail. He got out. They would throw poker nights at my house. It was just a chaotic environment to grow up in. But at 11 years old, my mom took us to church on Christmas, and I remember the, the preacher, Dr. James White, preached the, the Christmas message gospel, the simplicity of the gospel, the Christmas message, and my heart was convicted, and I realized at 11 years old that I was a sinner, and I needed a Savior, that I was lost, that I was broken, and I needed a Savior. It's the simplicity of the gospel, and I remember I went home. My sister was at her dad's house. We had different dads. She was at her dad's for the weekend, and I went into her room so that I could be alone with God. I shared a room with my brother, and I heard the Lord speak to me. The first thing I heard him say was, you need to start honoring your mother. See, that's an interesting thing. If you honor your father and mother, you'd have long life on the earth. That's the first commandment with promise. And uh, that's one of the first things God spoke to me. And, and I never went back to church, so I never really got discipleship. So I didn't know what it meant to be a Christian except for my dad's example. You have a lot of athletes that will say, glory to God, you know, but then go impregnate the whole area that night. That doesn't mean they know God just because they say glory to God. You know what I'm saying? And and And... So for me, my example was I believe so I don't burn fire insurance faith, you know, like I might be on my way to a party between 11 and 18, on my way to a party and on my way to fight somebody maybe and praying to God that I win. And I didn't see a problem with that. You know, I might be driving down the road drunk as I can be praying that I don't get a DUI and I don't see a problem with that. I'm not rebelling against God. I just don't know what I don't know. I'm walking in the light that I have. I don't know what I don't know. It wasn't until I was 18 years old that I got a job as a painter, painting exterior houses. By this time, I'd had that car accident. I was thrown out of the back windshield of the car, 90 stitches in my left knee, which affects your ability to play football, and uh, multiple felonies does as well. Um, and so I'm painting houses, and I get on a crew that if you've ever been in the trades, you know is filled with addiction and drugs and alcohol and all that kind of stuff. And I was on the crew with a bunch of people who were addicted with drugs and just walking the light that they had, trying to numb their pain, you know. And uh, we're all self-medicating somehow, by the way, unless you know Jesus Christ. Other people meditate with money and work and, and, and sex and pornography and all kinds of things that people are medicating the pain away with. But the only thing that has a lasting effect is Jesus Christ. But anyway, they, they were self-medicating in their realm, and uh, I got, by the grace of God, switched over to a paint crew with a bunch of radically saved black guys. And they would be listening to gospel music. They'd pick me up in the morning at 6 a.m. I got a hangover, and they're blasting Kirk Franklin and Wow Gospel CDs. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, it's 6 a.m., you know. And they're like, brother such and such got healed, and God told me this, and did you see sister such and such prophesying and all this kind of stuff? But they were on fire. Say, on fire. fire. They were burning for Jesus, and they did not care what anybody thought. They did not care what background I came from. They didn't care what I thought about them. They were on fire for Jesus. And in seeing a person on fire, I'd never seen a person. Now, listen, I grew up in Virginia where you could throw a rock and hit a church 
every, you know, three churches by accident? How many Christians did I go to high school with? How many Christians did I come up through? How many Christians did I pass in the grocery store or the banks or wherever? And I never once had somebody preach the gospel to me. Never once do I remember somebody burning for Jesus in all of my time coming up to that point. I should have lost my life living in sin at 16 years old when I was ejected out of the back windshield of the car, if it wasn't for the grace of God. I literally encountered an angel or a Christian, I don't know, but they said I was dying. My granddad fell at his knees at the scene of the accident and begged God for my life. Said, God, please save my grandson. If you do, I'll give you the rest of my life. And at that point, I knew I was going to be okay. Had Nightingale helicopter to Norfolk, Sentara. But I say that because I could have died right then and there and never have had an example of somebody burning for Jesus. And God told me to ask the church everywhere I go, are you on fire? And the way that he asked me to ask it was like, are you on fire? Like, really? Oh, you think you're on fire? Especially in charismatic communities. Because you say, are you on fire? And they say, yeah, I'm on fire for God. But they don't even know what they're talking about. See, Hebrews chapter 12, I believe says that our God is an all-consuming fire. He's a jealous God, quoting from the old covenant where, he came, where Moses came down from the mountain and sees the children of Israel worshiping idols. An idol is anything that has more value in your heart than God does. Anything that you worship, anything that you pay more attention to than God, that's an idol. Anything you have to check with before you say yes to God is an idol. And they're worshiping an idol when he comes down from this face-to-face encounter. This is a people who've seen miracles. They've seen the signs and wonders. They literally were delivered by signs and wonders. They've seen the power of God, and yet they're still worshiping idols. And in that place, a bunch of people die until the mercy of God happens. 3,000 people die, actually, that day. And in that place, we get the context where our God is an all-consuming fire He's a jealous God. Come on. But we also know he's not willing that any should perish, but that all should have life. Our God is love. And love always has the highest and best for what it's pointed at. The reason that he's jealous for all of our affection is because he's worthy of it. And nothing else is worthy of our affection. Actually, it leads to death. And he loves us so much, he doesn't want us to die. He wants us to have life and have it in abundance. And it's not until we experience his love that we have life in abundance. That's why he's jealous for you, because he's the best thing for you. Come on. You were designed for relationship with God. But I never met somebody that was on fire for God. Listen, our God is an all-consuming fire, and 1 John 4 says that God is love. So love is an all-consuming fire. I want you to think about something. When I fell in love with my wife, after I got saved, I thought I was going to be the Apostle Paul and never get married, and I was just going to preach the gospel all around the world. (laughs) The only problem is I was attracted to girls, (laughs) and I wanted to have relations with them. Listen, if you're attracted to the other sex and you want to have relations, then you're not called to be the Apostle Paul, all right? There's no grace to be the Apostle Paul. But here's the thing. When I fell in love, see, I started, I met this girl and I could not quit thinking about her. I thought I was called to preach the gospel and not get married, but I could not quit thinking about this girl. In that time period, I would rebuke the thoughts 
when they came. Get behind me, Satan. You're trying to distract me from my call to preach the gospel. And I would think about her and think about her and think about her. And I'd be like, God, help me. Deliver me from these thoughts of this girl. I was consumed with her. Eventually, I would pray, and I would go for about 10 or 15 minutes. I'd be painting houses as a YWAM or a missionary. I'd go about 10, 15 minutes thinking about God. And before you know it, I'd be thinking about her again. And I wouldn't catch myself through 10 or 15 minutes thinking about her again. And I, I remember crying out in desperation, God, please deliver me. I feel like I'm going crazy about this girl. And he said, that's right, you're crazy about her. And he said, and it's like it's okay. There's this thing called crazy love. You see it. You see these, these people fall in love, and they're in that la-la phase, that la-la-la phase, that, that you can do no wrong phase, that I cannot quit thinking about them phase, that consuming first love. You know what I'm talking about? You can't quit thinking. It's the kind of love that your ear hurts. You've been talking to them on the phone for so long. It's like you wake up in the morning, you call them. You can't quit texting them. You can't quit thinking about them. You can't quit looking at their Facebook profile. You're consumed. You're in love. Love is an all-consuming fire. God is consumed with you. He can't quit thinking about you. Matter of fact, the psalm says his thoughts for you are more than the stars that are in the heavens, more than the sand that are on the seashore. That's an innumerable amount of thoughts that he's thinking about you. He loves you so much that he sent his only begotten son to die for you. Literally, you're to die for in God's mind. That's how much value he has for you. Love looks like something. It looks like a man hanging on a cross, dying, saying, Father, forgive give them, they don't know what they're doing. Love looks like laying down your life for someone. You know, in our day and age, love has lost its meaning when you think about it. I love pizza. I love the Hokies. I love, you know, my daughter. I love my wife. How many people know there's a big difference between I love pizza and I love my daughter? You know, love lost its meaning in the word. What is love anyway? Is it emotion? Is it this, this mushy-gushy feeling that I've been describing? No, I want to submit to you it's not that mushy-gushy feeling. It's, the, it's, this, it's this thing that's over you where you, you will give up your life for that person. When my daughter was born and she came out and all she could do is eat, sleep, and poop, I looked at that little girl and I knew without a shadow of doubt I'll give my life for this little girl. She could do nothing for me, but I will give my life for this little girl. To this day, I know if she was to cross the street and a bus would be coming to hit her and I had the opportunity to push her out of the way and take the bus, I would take the bus because I love her. See, love, Jesus says it this way, no greater love than this than a man lay down his life for his friends. And then he himself laid his life down. It says, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. He said this, Jesus said this, no man takes my life from me. I give it up freely. He chose to give up his life. He didn't have to. He said, I could get legions of angels to come to my defense. But for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. And that joy set before him was yours and I's redemption, humanity's redemption. He loves you. You're the apple of his eye. You know what that means? If the apple of your eye is the most important part of your eyeball, your eye will do everything. Your body will do everything possible to protect the apple of your eye. You're the apple of his eye. You're worthy of protection. You're worthy of defending. He loves you. Come on. He's crazy in love with you. So when I say, are you on fire, what I mean is, are you consumed with him? Does he... Fill your every thought. 
Because out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Evangelism goes from something that we do to something, to something that we are. I don't do evangelism. I am the light of the world. I can't help telling people about Jesus because I'm thinking about him. Listen, when I was falling in love with my wife, I didn't care what you talked about. I'm a Redskin fan. If you talk to me about Redskins, I was still going to bring it back around to Chelsea. If you talk to me about the Hokies, I was still going to talk about Chelsea. I was consumed with her. I didn't have to think about talking. It's, she dominated my head. Are you on fire? Have you had an encounter with God where you can't quit thinking about him? He consumes you, everything about you. Because our God is an all-consuming fire. He's a jealous God, not, worth, not willing that we have any idols, but he wants to fall on us this morning. See, when I was praying, I felt like that God wants to do a baptism of fire this morning. Baptism of the Holy Spirit. John the Baptist says, Surely I baptize you with water unto repentance. Say repentance. The context for the baptism of the Holy Spirit and fire is repentance. Think about that. I'm baptizing with water unto repentance. There's one who's greater than me. He'll baptize you in the Holy Spirit and fire. In the context, if I'm baptizing you with water unto repentance, he says, I'm baptizing you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His name, he's a spirit, but his name is holy. Say holy. holy. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is all about holiness. Come on. Fire, what's one of the purifying, what is the element of fire? It purifies. It burns away everything that's not pure. It only leads what's pure. On the day of Pentecost, Acts chapter 2, when the Holy Spirit was poured out, Jesus said this. He said in Acts chapter 1, he told them, go in, in the Great Commission, go and preach the gospel to all the world. But before you do that, wait in the upper room until the gift of the God, the gift of the Father, the promise of the Father, the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And then you will become my witnesses with power. So you can't, that whole thing about the Great Commission, you can't do it unless you get the Holy Ghost, unless you get the Holy Spirit, unless you get the baptism of power. Okay, so now they're in the prayer meeting. As they're in the prayer meeting, all of a sudden, suddenly, say suddenly, what if today is a suddenly moment? Anybody believing that today will be a suddenly moment? All of a sudden, a suddenly moment happened. They were shaken and a rushing mighty wind comes. And the tongues of fire appears on, the, on their heads. And they begin to speak in tongues and prophesy. People thought that they were drunk. Peter stands up and says, these men are not drunk as you suppose. He didn't say they weren't drunk, though. <laughs> they were acting in such a way that looked like they were drunk. See, the devil can only counterfeit. He's not even a good creator. He just, he just counterfeits. They ain't nothing like the real thing, baby. I'm telling you, we, we're drink, getting drunk on alcohol, getting, get, and it's expensive, and we get hangovers, and it ain't good for us. It gives us the big fat bellies and all that kind of stuff. Ain't nothing like the real thing. You can be drunk in the spirit. See, this was John the Baptist was never drinking any wine, but he was filled with the spirit in the womb. He says, do not be drunk with wine, but be what? Filled with the spirit, singing spiritual songs. The counterfeit to being filled with the spirit is to be drunk with alcohol. But the reality of the fact is, is that we're supposed to be constantly being filled with the spirit of fire and passion because we need it. There's this thing that we got called liquid courage. Anybody that, that didn't grow up in church knows what I'm talking about. You might go into the club and you see the dime piece over there in the corner, the 10 out of 10 girl that you know she's out of your league. You know you don't got a chance with her. 
She, got, she wants people with money. She ain't on your level. You know, you're below. You're going to stay on your zone and your lane. You know that when you go in. All of a sudden, you have a few drinks. You look over at her and you're Brad Pitt all of a sudden. That's called liquid courage. Or there might be a big dude over there in the corner. You know you can't take him, but after a few drinks, you think you can take that guy, and you end up getting kicked in the face. That's called liquid courage. It's a counterfeit. Say it's a counterfeit. Listen, you can be so full of the Spirit that you get bold as a lion. I want to tell you, if you read through every time the Holy Spirit is poured out, one of the main manifestations is boldness to preach the gospel, proclaim the gospel. It's a counterfeit. Come on. There's another thing called liquid love. You know what I'm talking about? You ever see that person, they're drinking at the bar all the time, they're drinking around, and all of a sudden they I, I love you drunk? They call you up at 2 in the morning, I just want to tell you I love you. Or they're walking around, I love you, I love you, I love you. Some people are laughing because you know that was you. It's a counterfeit. I'm telling you, you could be so full of the Spirit of God that you're I love you drunk. I'm love drunk. I'm overwhelmed with the love of God. I can't help but to love you. I'm so loved. I'm so overwhelmed. I'm so inebriated. See, the thing even with drunkenness is that you have too much alcohol in your system. You're absolutely inebriated. Too much. It's overloading you. I'm telling you, you can be so overloaded with the love of God, with the Spirit of God. See, the Spirit of God is the Spirit of love that you are absolutely seeping out love everywhere that you go. You're overflowing. We got this thing at my church when I planted my church that we said that the way that we do evangelism is that we drink and leak. <laughs> See, in his presence is fullness of joy. Fullness. Say fullness. fullness. How do you measure fullness? Yeah, that's right. This bottle's not completely full until it's splashing on the floor. So we measure fullness with overflow. So in his presence is what? I want to submit to you, you're not aware of his presence with you until you're splashing on the people next to you. You're not fully aware of the presence of God with you. Behold, I'll be with you even to the end of the age unless you are splashing joy on the people next to you on a regular basis. See, here's the thing. If you're walking in an atmosphere of joy because you're aware of the joy of the Lord, you're aware of his presence with you, then advance is not necessarily something that you're doing all the time. It's just who you are. You're carrying an atmosphere with you. Now, as I carry the atmosphere, they're going to wonder, what is it about you that's so joyful? Don't you see the condition of the world? Don't you see the bad stuff that's happening? How come you have joy no matter who gets elected into office? How come you have joy no matter what the circumstance, no matter what the economy, no matter what happens? You're constantly walking in this joy. What is it about you? Oh, you don't want to know. No, I do want to know. I want that joy. I'm spending all my money to get that joy. I, I'm trying to get joy like that, but I don't have that joy. What is it? Oh, you don't want to know. No, I want to know. Uh, okay, I'm going to, touch it. I'm going to tell you. It's Jesus. It's Jesus, and you preach the gospel because you're ready in season and out of season to preach the gospel. Is that a good introduction to my message? I'm ready. You guys ready? I want to talk to you about the cross. I was on my uh, February the 14th. I was awoken in the middle of the night at 2.31 in the morning. 
Woke up, looked at my phone, 2.31, went back to sleep, woke up again. I thought it, I had been asleep for a while, looked at my phone, it's 2.37 in the morning. I've only been asleep for six minutes. You would think I'd get up and be like, okay, Lord, what do you want? But no, I just went back to sleep again. <laughs> I woke up again at 6 a.m. in the morning, wide awake. I got up, went into the living room, and I heard the Lord say, John 10.10. John 10.10 says that the thief comes to do nothing except to seek, to kill, and to destroy. But I have come that you would have life and that you would have it in abundance. The Passion Translation puts it this way. Anybody like the Passion Translation Bible? Anybody not know about the Passion Translation Bible? You guys need to get born again. (laughs) Just joking. joking. Now, seriously, it's amazing. Here's what it says. A thief has only one thing in mind. He wants to steal, slaughter, and destroy. But I have come to give you everything in abundance, more than you expect, life in its fullness until you overflow. I read that scripture on February the 14th. I didn't know that that day would be a day that would be a mass shooting. Right around that time. It was the 14th, I believe. I had no idea. I forgot about it, that I had got, I wrote that in my journal on that day. Two days later, I'm driving down the road, and I start thinking about Parkland and the shooting that happened, and I start realizing that my heart is dull. I've barely prayed about the situation. It's like it's gotten dull because of the frequency of the shootings. It's like so many different shootings that's happened, even this year with Las Vegas and Tennessee and this one and all the different things that have been happening. My heart's been dull, and I realize I'm not identifying with the heart of God. And so I've spent some time praying. I listened to Trump's speech about it, spent some time praying, get to the coffee shop where I'm going, and I hear uh, the Lord, I, I just kind of, I move on to start talking about conferences and stuff. I preach at conferences. And so I think, oh, I'm going to invite my friend from Brazil to this conference, the Voice of the Prophets, which is going to be amazing, by the way, little promo. <laughs> Voice of the Prophets with Global Awakening. I have no uh, pony in the race other than the fact that I think that everybody should go there because I think your life will be transformed if you go there. Voice of the Prophets, you can check it out on globalawakening.com in April. But I invite him to that, and, and uh, he totally ignores me, ignores my invitation. He says, Richie, I'm from Parkland. My son, by the grace of God, survived the shooting. He was in the classroom next to where everything happened. As a matter of fact, his son told me he was in the quarter just minutes before it happened, and he started running down the hallway, and one of the teachers opened the door and let him in and locked the door behind him, and he was the first classroom where the guy came and started knocking on the door and trying to, trying to get in the door, but he couldn't get in the door. So he went down the hallway to the next place and started shooting people. His son was there. And all of a sudden, I realized this is a divine moment. I was texting him about a conference right after I prayed for Parkland, and God started talking to me, and this is a divine moment. And so then I heard the Lord say, I want you to go there tomorrow. It's like 1 or 2 o'clock in the day. I booked my plane ticket immediately because slow obedience is disobedience. Anybody realize in John 14, Jesus says that those who love me will obey my commandments? So the fruit of understanding the love of God is obedience. You can't say you love God if you don't obey God. Your obedience proves your love for God. Or your love of God results in obedience, whichever way you want to say it. So obedience is disobedience. So I buy a ticket. It's expensive to buy a ticket in one day notice. But I bought it. I go down there. I get to interact with these students. 
Pray for the media. So all the media guys, knees get healed. Pray for the first responders, FBI agents, police department, and a whole group of youth. I laying hands on them and telling them that what the enemy meant for evil, you're going to turn around for good. God's going to turn around for good. He comes to seek, kill, and destroy, but you've come, but he's but Jesus has come that we would have life in an abundance. And even though death and fear is trying to permeate our nation, God has a plan because perfect love casts out all fear, and you are the light of the world. You're not a victim of the circumstances of this world. Jesus didn't promise to take us out of the storms of life. Actually, he promised that there would be storms of life. He didn't say he was going to take all the pain away from us. He actually said, I'm sending you as sheep amongst wolves. Be as wise as serpents and as innocent as doves. Be the light of the world. Be the salt of the world. The salt that loses its flavor is good for nothing to be trampled underfoot by men. Be the light of the world. He's actually sending us in to be the answer to the pain that's everywhere around us but are you on fire is the question and I told those students don't you be ashamed I wish in high school that I would find somebody would be on fire for Jesus that would preach the gospel people are looking for answers and you have the answer on the inside of you you do not allow these 17 precious souls to die in vain but utilize their death for the gain of the kingdom Unless the grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it doesn't produce a, a harvest. Yet the, I believe the blood of these innocent people are crying out like the blood of Abel from the ground for a revival in our nation. Are we going to politicize it? Or are we going to begin to proclaim the hope in the gospel through this reality that's happening? That our, our nation is in a, in, a, in a place, in a reality where this is frequent. And it's the church's problem. It's our fault. We got to understand that because we're playing games. We're playing church, coming to church Sunday after Sunday, thinking that it's the evangelist's job to preach the gospel. No, it ain't the evangelist's job to preach the gospel. If I'm an evangelist, listen, there is no such thing as a gift of evangelism in the Bible. You can't find it. You can't say, oh, Rich, you got the gift of evangelism, and I don't. I just got the gift of, you know, pastoring and, and, and administration or whatever else you want to put in there. No, no, because there is no such thing as a gift of evangelism in the Bible. There's the office of an evangelist that Jesus ascended to heaven and gave gifts to men, of some to be apostles, some to be prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers. But listen to the next verse. It says, for the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry. But it's the saints who do the work of ministry. So if I'm an evangelist, then my role is to equip you to do evangelism. But it's the saints instead of the evangelist. Mark chapter 16 says that these signs follow those who believe. It doesn't say these signs that follow the apostles or the prophets or the person with the microphone or the evangelist. It says these signs follow those who believe. What? That they'll lay their hands on the sick. They'll prophesy. They'll speak in other tongues. If they get bit with anything, that shall not harm them. What signs? They say, and then it goes on. It says they preached the gospel and God worked with them, confirming the word of the gospel by doing signs and wonders and miracles. This isn't a game. This is for every single believer to go out and preach the gospel. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. You've heard it said that preach the gospel at all time and if necessary, use words. And I understand what people are saying. I understand the heart behind that statement. Trust me, I know what they're saying. They're saying don't be a hypocrite. But the reality is, is it's not biblically accurate. Jesus didn't say that. Jesus said, preach the gospel. And that word preach, if you break it down in the Greek and Hebrew and Aramaic, mean the same thing. Proclaim with words. Faith comes by hearing. To be a witness. 
It might not, you can break it down and it might not mean preach like preaching like I'm preaching. I understand that everybody can preach like I'm preaching. They don't have that makeup. Although you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you and in your weakness his strength is made perfect and he chooses to use people historically that can't speak and that have stuttering problems to speak. So even if you think that you can't do it, you actually qualify that you can do it. I understand that. So we got to understand that, right? We got to understand that. But listen, it really means that you're a witness, that you're testifying. To what Jesus Christ has done in your life. You have a testimony. Say, I have a testimony. And a man with a theory or a man with a testimony or a man with an experience is never at the mercy of a person with a theory. So you have what it takes because you have a testimony and they overcame the devil by the word of their testimony and by the blood of the lamb. Come on, you know the gospel. If you know the gospel, then you got enough. Come on, do you know the gospel? That's the question. Because I go to churches all the time, and 80% of the church wouldn't know how to share the gospel if they had an opportunity. The gospel's not even preached in a lot of churches every Sunday. But the gospel should be preached every Sunday. It only takes two to three minutes to do a presentation of the gospel and give an, an author call. Even if you know that everybody's in the church is saved already, pastors should do a gospel presentation every single Sunday. If for no other reason than by repetition, human beings learn. Because the church needs to be equipped to be able to share the gospel. And so the primary way that human beings learn is by repetition, constantly hearing, 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 seeing, seeing, seeing. Listen, this is how we teach our kids. This is how we teach people, repetition. This is how you practice in football, repetition, right? So if you hear the gospel on a regular basis, all of a sudden now you're equipped by default in order to be able to share the gospel when you have an opportunity. So you're at the grocery store and the Spirit of God says pray for their knee. You say, okay, I believe Therefore, signs follow me. I pray for their need. Not only am I going to reveal him as healer. See, there's a lot of people that reveal Jesus as healer or prophesy. They get good at prophesying and doing words of knowledge. They present him as an encourager or a healer, but they don't present him as savior. See, if you present Jesus as healer, he'll heal. If you present him as a prophet, he'll encourage. If you present him as a savior, he'll save. But most people don't know how to preach the gospel. So the question is, are we dreaming about preaching the gospel? Come on, what do you dream about when you go to sleep at night? You know what I do? I'll listen to Reinhard Bonnke preach the gospel. Billy Graham preach the gospel. I'll listen to the gospel message, the purity of the gospel message, and then as it goes off, or sometimes I'll fall asleep in the middle of it, which that's a good way to fall asleep, listening to the gospel. But as it goes off, I begin to dream of myself. I'll dream about sharing the gospel one-on-one scenarios or to masses, and I'm sharing the gospel to masses. As I'm doing that, I'm allowing the Holy Spirit to train and equip me to share the gospel. See, you have the ability to be trained by the Holy Spirit to share the gospel. You are equipped. Say, I'm equipped. You have been equipped by the Holy Spirit to share the gospel. He's the best evangelist. Nobody says that Jesus is Lord except by the Spirit of God. Look at your neighbor and say, you're not the best evangelist. Look at your neighbor and say, you're not the best healer. You're not the best miracle worker. But your best friend is. The Holy Spirit is the best evangelist. Jesus says in John chapter 16, he said, I'm going away to the Father and you're sad because I say I'm going away, but I'm telling you it's to your advantage that I go away. Say advantage. I always thought Jesus is giving these guys a hard time. I would be sad too. How many people, if you had Jesus Christ walking with you side by side, for three years, would think that that was an advantage to your spirituality, to your life. Think about it for a minute. They've seen 
food multiplied, water turned to wine, people walking on water. They see lepers instantly cleansed, blind eyes open, so many miracles, in fact, that they can't contain them in all the books of the Bible. That is contributive to your faith. If he said, hey, I'm going away, boys, I would be sad too. And yet he says, I'm telling you, it is to your advantage that I go away. Because if I do, what? I'll send the Holy Spirit. I heard God speak to me, and he said, everywhere you go, tell the church that if we start taking advantage of our advantage, we'll see Jesus get his full reward. All the gifts are found in the Holy Spirit. You can minister and out of the realm of the Holy Spirit and operate in anything that you need at any given time. Come on. I want to go in this direction, but I got to stay on point. If you don't think that Jesus was an advantage, when you get to heaven, I want you to ask the sons of thunder. James and John, when you get to heaven, go ask the sons of thunder about a time that they were going through the town of Samaria. Because in the Bible, you'll find this. They were going through a town of Samaria. Nobody was being hospitable. So they come to Jesus, and they say to Jesus, do you want us to call down fire from heaven like Elijah did? Notice, they didn't say, do you want to call down fire? They said, do you want us to call down fire? Now, that's authority. I don't know any Christians that actually believe that they can call down fire from heaven and it actually fall and consume an entire city. And that's probably a good thing. Because we wouldn't have New York or Las Vegas or New Orleans or probably the whole state of California be burned to the ground by now. They understood their authority. They understood the word of God. See, some people think that, hey, as long as you know this, you'll be all right. Listen, they understood the word of God. See, you can know the word of God and not know the spirit of God. This thing has been used to do a lot of damage in history. People have used this scripture to enslave people, to disempower 50% of the body of Christ, women, because they don't understand the context of the scripture. See, you can know the scripture... The Pharisees memorized the scripture. They knew of the scriptures, but they didn't recognize the word when he came in the flesh. See, you can know this, but not know the spirit of this. Come on. And I love this. And I think we need to memorize this. And I do memorize this. And I teach from this. You'll hear me quote 40, 50 scriptures in one sermon. Because I love this. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying you can know this and not know the spirit of it. See, they understood the Bible. They said, like Elijah did? You want us to call down fire from heaven like Elijah did? Listen, it's in here. It's in the book. Elijah did it. There's precedence. But Jesus was their advantage. He said, you don't know what spirit you're of. He said, no, 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 no. Not a good idea, boys. You don't know what spirit you're of. For the Son of Man didn't what? Come to kill men's lives. He came to... Save men's lives. What spirit are we operating in as a church? Is it the spirit of judgment? Is it the spirit, do we think that we take the place of the judge? Or do we know what our ministry is? Do we know what spirit we're of? See, the Christ spirit says this, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. We got to understand that what epic season, the epic 
That word epic means a time in which God deals with the people in a certain way. See, there, he dealt with the people in a certain way in the old covenant before Jesus, before his resurrection. There was a certain way in which God dealt with people. That's an epic season. And then the season switched to a different epic season after the cross. And now we live in a season that God is dealing with the people in a certain way. Now, there will be a day of judgment, but it will be a day of judgment and you won't be the judge. Aren't you glad? If you're not glad by that, you need to get born again. It's not a, you know, and it will be a great and terrible day. Great for some and terrible for others. Based on if you know Jesus or not. There will be a day of judgment, but that is not the epic season that we live in. The season that we live in is the season where we've been given the ministry of reconciliation. See, the Spirit of God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself not counting their trespasses against them. We live in a season where God is extending mercy and kindness. It's his kindness that leads to repentance. And sometimes mercy and kindness might look a little direct to one person. And in another person, it might look a little bit different. But we got to, by the Spirit, know that there's not just a, a, a roadmap. We can't just create a, a system of how we reach every person, but we actually have to be completely dependent upon the Holy Spirit to begin to know how to share the Holy Spirit with each individual person. See, you, see people always like laws. They don't like the fact that it, can, that it can be fluid with the Holy Spirit. Now, it has to come under what we see in the Word. But if we know the Word and we can and we can follow the Spirit of God, then we know how to reach people. Does that make sense? Not counting the trespasses against us. He said, no, not a good idea, boys. You don't know what spirit you're of. Listen, that day, Jesus was a disciple's advantage for one reason. They obeyed him. Say obey. Can you imagine if they said, whatever, Jesus, Fire! It's in the word of God, whatever, Jesus, fire. And they called them fire anyway. Like, that's, that's so stupid. That's what a stupid idea. They're going to disobey Jesus. What kind of crazy is that? No way that they would disobey Jesus. And yet Jesus says this, it is to your advantage that I go away. Because if I do, I'll send to you the Holy Spirit. It's greater. There's a greater one coming. It's the Holy Spirit. So the question is, how often have you disobeyed the Holy Spirit? So you think it's so crazy to disobey the Holy Spirit, and yet there's one greater that's in you and upon you. So there's two factors. Are we developing intimacy with the Holy Spirit to where we're learning to hear his voice? And do we obey? See, the secret place is the practice place for the marketplace. You spend time in the secret place and develop an intimate relationship with the Holy Spirit to where you know his voice. And so when he tells you to do something, you do it. And this is the key to walking in a lifestyle of miracles. Do whatever he says. It's not complicated. We make it complicated. You know how to do miracles? Do whatever he says. The first miracle that Jesus did was turn water into wine. How? Somehow they're having a party and the disciples come and all the wine runs out when the disciples show up. Wonder why. All the fishermen showed up and the wine ran out. And they come to Jesus like it's his problem. You know what I'm saying? She said, hey, Jesus, all the wine ran out. He said, what does this have to do with me, woman? Because we all call, call our mom woman, right? It's Jesus. You can get away with it. I wouldn't recommend it to you. 
She, she totally ignores him, and then what she say? She says to the people there, do whatever he says. You realize he included those who were there in the miracle, just like he includes you. Even the multiplication of bread and the fish, it multiplied into the disciples' bags as they went. He told them what to do. They obeyed him, and as they went, listen, that could, faith. Can you imagine coming to a, a whole lot of hungry people, and all you got is a little bit of food? That takes faith. And they come, and as they do, God multiplies that food. See, it was in their obedience that the multiplication happened. And the same thing with the water turning to wine. Do whatever he says. Look at your neighbor and say, do whatever he says. I, I don't want to just tell you, take advantage of your advantage and not tell you how you do that. The reality of the fact is you have a relationship with the Holy Spirit, learn how to hear his voice and obey what he says, and you'll walk in a lifestyle of miracles and signs and wonders. So many people disempower themselves or disqualify themselves from doing uh, the, the work of an evangelist because they think that that's just for the special people, not realizing that it's for you as a lifestyle. Listen, revival's not coming to this area, to Virginia Tech, to this area, to Christianburg, to this Roanoke, to this whole area because they come to your church. Revival's coming because you go to work, because you go to the gas station, because you go to the grocery store, because you go to the bank, and you realize that the same spirit of God that raised Christ from the dead lives on the inside of you, and nothing is impossible. Come on. And you're not going to bow down to the spirit of fear. Okay, now I'm going to move into what I really want to talk about. Here's the thing. I was flying into Azusa now, and as I was flying in, the Lord spoke to me and said, read out loud on the airplane, Matthew chapter 5. I've learned slow obedience is disobedience. So I do. I know what Matthew chapter 5 says. I've read it thousands of times. I memorized Matthew chapter 1 through chapter 7, genealogy and all. I've read that scripture thousands of times. I know what it says. When I got to the portion of the scripture where it says that you're the light of the world, a city on a hill cannot be hidden, neither do they light a lamp and place it under a basket. It came out, neither do they light a lamp and place it under a basket of fear. It doesn't say fear, but it came out fear. And as soon as it came out fear, I heard the Spirit of God speak to me, and he said, tell the church everywhere you go that there's a cost to putting their light under a basket of fear. Before I go any further, I just had the, heard the Spirit of God tell me, and I don't want to miss this, that he wants to heal somebody in your spine. I saw during the prayer time somebody that had a curvature in their spine or a spinal injury, and I actually saw the Lord take you almost by the hand and whip you like a, like a blanket, like you would whip a blanket out, almost like this, and your spine straightened out. So if that's you, I believe that God wants to heal you today. If your spine has been compressed or injured or you have a curvature in your spine, I believe that God wants to heal you, and I want to pray for you at the end of the service. All right? So he said to me, tell the church everywhere that there's a cost to putting your light under a basket of fear. And then he reminded me of a story that happened when I was in a coffee shop years ago. I was in a coffee shop with a friend. I worked at Home Depot making $6.35 an hour. Nobody knew me. I was just a, a saint sitting in the pews like you. My friend, he, he had a cleaning business. He, did, he wasn't in ministry. He wasn't in the ministry school, anything like that. He was just a saint that believed in Jesus. We were in a coffee shop drinking liquid heaven in a cup. <laughs> Stepped out of that coffee shop. And I seen a, a couple screaming and yelling and arguing at each other. I mean, the spit is flying. They are screaming. The neck vein is bulging out of that woman. And I tell you guys, if you see her neck vein bulge, just shut up. She ain't listening to you anyway. 
but they were in a good old fight. And how many people know when you see that kind of a conversation going on, you don't interrupt it? You kind of give them some privacy. You don't tend to insert yourself into that kind of conversation. But I have a belief system that I live my life by that there's not a problem in the world that doesn't have a solution. See, the one with the most hope has the most influence. And I might not know the, not know the answer to the problem, but my best friend does. Come on. The Holy Spirit is the answer to every problem. So I see a problem that doesn't look very good. Well, it's my responsibility. What would happen if the church, when we saw problems, we didn't judge it and speak negative about it and, and, and attach our authority, our voice? How much authority does the devil have? That's right. See, Jesus said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, and now I give it to you. So the authority that he has is the authority that you give him. And yet, the enemy somehow convinces Christians that they're doing the right thing by speaking words of judgment out of their mouth, not understanding what spirit they're of. That the Son of Man didn't come to kill men's life, but to save men's life. And so when the problems happen, we complain about them and speak out of our mouth, and life and death is in the power of the tongue. And we, have, and we combine our authority with the plans of the devil. So what spirit are you following? The Christ spirit or the antichrist spirit? See, I want to submit to you, there's a lot of people in the church that speak the words of Satan just like Peter did. And when Jesus said, get behind me, Satan, because he wasn't speaking from the spirit of God. He was speaking from the spirit of Satan. Come on. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. Here I am. I come up to this. I just, I don't know, I don't know what the answer is, but my best friend does. So, and he has the answer to this problem. And I realized something. Here's another key to the miraculous if you're taking notes. One of them is obey. Number two, put yourself in position where you throw your hat over the fence. Anybody ever see the, the movie Sandlot? Literally, once you throw something of value over that fence, you got to go back. You got to go get it. Ain't no coming back. You got to put yourself in the place like Indiana Jones. You step out, and if it don't, the bridge doesn't come, you've fallen. You got to put yourself in a position where if God doesn't show up, it ain't going to look very good. You got to bring yourself to the edge of your ability where his abilities begin. In other words, you got to take risks. John Wimber said faith spells risk. You got to put yourself in a lifestyle of taking risk. Beyond your ability, you can't say it's about your gifting. It's not about your gifting. It's about your faith. All the giftings flow through the conduit of faith. Come on. If I think I have the gift of healing, then I'll never see healing unless I activate faith and pray for the sick. Come on. Faith activates healing. If I feel like I got the gift of tongues, I'll never pray in tongues unless I have faith that I'm speaking in tongues because I don't know what I'm saying. You see what I'm saying? If I think I have the gift of prophecy, I'll never prophesy unless I have faith. See, the Bible says that we prophesy according to the measure of our faith. You want to prophesy more? Ask for more faith. Step out with more faith. Give, start with what you got, and God will give you the more. So many people are asking for more, but they're not stewarding what they've already been given. Come on. Come on. God's a good investor. So here, here, you know how I did? You know how I tested my faith? You know how I activated my faith? I walked up and knocked on the window not knowing what I'm going to say. I haven't thought that far yet. I just see a problem and I trust the Holy Spirit. So I knock on the window and now I'm going to ask the Holy Spirit to show up. Because now I see this dude is really big and really angry. And my heart, I feel the fear. See, courage isn't the absence of fear. 
The presence of fear, the courage is not letting fear tell you what to do because it's not your Lord. You have not been given the spirit of fear, but you've been given the spirit of adoption by whom you cry out, Abba, Father. And Timothy says you've not been given the spirit of fear, but of power, love, and of a sound mind. Both times, fear is described as a spirit. you got to understand that fear is a spirit that you've not been given. So you might feel that spirit, but it's not your Lord. Your Lord is love, and love casts out all fear, and love doesn't think of itself Come on, love doesn't pride to preserve itself because love is dead. We've died. If you're afraid and you're walking in a lifestyle of fear, it's because you don't realize that your life's not your own anymore, but you gave your life to Christ, and the life that you live, you no longer live for yourself, but for him who bled and died on the cross in your place. Listen, I'm just quoting scriptures. To live is Christ. To die is gain. Those who try to save their life will lose their life, but those who lose their life for my sake will find their life. You just got to die more if you're living in fear. I'm just saying, when you, when you got baptized, you died with Christ. When you came out of that water, you resurrected a new creation, and now your life is hidden in Christ. It's not your life anymore. You say, man, what if I get it wrong? Well, it's not about you. You have no idea how many wrong words of knowledge I have that have led to right salvations. I just got to be willing to be looking like a fool. I walk up to somebody and say, hey, you got a problem with your knee? They say, no, why do you ask? I say, because I see miracles all the time. I used to say that before I saw miracles through my own hands all the time because I watched them on YouTube videos and Bethel Church testimonies, and I did see miracles all the time right through the video. See, because the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy, and it's your testimony. What you see God do through somebody else, it's a family thing. It's our testimony. So any testimony you hear me say is your testimony. You can use it to create an atmosphere for God to do it again because the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. And if you want to create an atmosphere for the miraculous and for the kingdom to come, one strategy I have is get good at telling testimony, remembering the story. See, you've been given enough because you have a testimony. Come on got to start with what we got. So I don't know what I'm going to say. I knock on that window. This dude is big and he's mad and he's like, what? And I'm like, I don't know what to say. He, it's like, I'm going to try to waste some time. I say, roll down the window. So he's like, and he's doing that. And now I'm looking at this dude in the eyes and I got emergency tongues on the inside. You know what I'm talking about? I'm like, God, you got to give me something. Give me something. I'm begging God. God, give me something. Give me something. If you don't give me something, I'm going to make it up. I'm, I'm telling you, man, I'm looking at this dude in the eyes, and I can see rage in his eyes, you know. I can see murder in his eyes, actually. And I'm looking at him, and all of a sudden, I hear the Spirit of God just whisper, just one phrase, ask him about his daughter. Sometimes we think that a word of knowledge is going to come with this long, drawn-out thing, when oftentimes it's just a word or a phrase. And if you start with what he gives you, he'll give you the more. So I say, hey, I don't mean to be disrespectful or dishonoring or anything like that. I'm a Christian, and I felt like the Lord told me to come knock on your window. I saw you were arguing, but to ask you about your daughter. And as soon as I did, the Lord gave me the more, and to tell you that you're, that you're important to her life. This guy instantly starts weeping and crying. And I'm like, yes. <laughs> he starts weeping and crying. His girlfriend starts weeping and crying. When they're able to talk, they can't even talk. When they're able to talk, he says, today, we were going to commit couple suicide. They were going to leave their little girl an orphan. See, they were arguing about what they were going to do with their daughter. I was able to share my testimony with them, share the gospel with them, and they got born again instead of committing suicide that day. Here's the thing. Here's the thing. Courage inspires courage. 
You'll see it throughout the scriptures where the children of Israel and the people of God were cowering in fear and unbelief. All of a sudden, God would raise up a person to be courageous like David and say, who is this uncircumcised Philistine mocking the armies of the living God? Slays the giant, cuts his head off, and the rest of the children of Israel defeat the rest of the Philistines. Why? Because one person took God at his word, come on, and was courageous and inspired everybody else to be courageous. Courage will inspire courage. I'm hoping that even just one person catches this. I hope everybody does. But if just one person catches this, fire is contagious. Fire always falls on acceptable sacrifice, but the only acceptable sacrifice is a life that's laid down in love. It's everything. It's your whole life. It's surrender. You don't get more by begging and, and, and striving. You get more by surrender. And when you lay down your life, it's God's good pleasure to baptize you in his spirit. Courage inspires courage. My friend Tom sees these people give their life to the Lord. He gets so excited, he turns around and looks for the first moving target in the parking lot. And he sees a guy chain smoking a cigarette with a yellow Walkman, the old school tape Walkman. He got a yellow Walkman in his head, chain smoking a cigarette, walking across the parking lot. And he said, hey, hey, hey. The guy totally ignores him or doesn't hear him. My friend Tom chases him, runs at him, taps him on the shoulder. He doesn't know what he's going to say. He hasn't thought that far yet. So you know what he does? You'll never believe what happened over there. Tells him a testimony. This guy starts weeping and crying. He said, I was going to commit suicide today. I don't, plan, I don't pretend to know everything, but I know that something's not right when three people in one parking lot are going to commit suicide in the same time. There's a demonic spirit of suicide. It's trying to get people to kill themselves. Only problem is that God had two sons that nobody knew that had the same spirit of God on the inside of them that would not bow down to the spirit of fear and that understood the gospel and that believed and trusted God to show up in situations where they saw the problem. When you see a problem, it's your responsibility as a Christian. You're the steward of the earth. The kingdom of God comes through you. We're crying out to God, but he's saying, what are you doing with what I gave you? He could come here and fix it all himself in one second if he wanted to, but his plan was always to do it through delegated authority, which is you and I. It's not about God's will. We know what God's will is. On earth as it is in heaven is his will, and we know we're not seeing on earth as it is in heaven. He said, you pray this way, our Father who's in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. He told us what his will was in his apostolic prayer. It's our responsibility to extend his dominion, the king's dominion. He said the kingdom of God doesn't come with observation over there, over there. It's inside of you. And whatever kingdom you have on the inside of you will be manifest around you. I'm telling you, is it peace? Is it joy? Is it righteousness? Or is it anxiety and fear and unbelief? Because we got to deal with unbelief for what it is. It's evil. Hebrews says, beware lest you have an evil heart of unbelief. The greatest sin is the sin of unbelief. Even the Adam and Eve, they sinned because of unbelief. The devil came to Eve and said, did he actually say that? Because he's just trying to hide something that's good for you. He just knows you'll be like him. See, it's the unbelief and the goodness of God that caused her to eat the fruit in the first place. Love would never withhold something from them that was good for them. We got to deal with the unbelief in our heart. God is exactly like Jesus, and he's always, always good. Nahum 1.6. And because of that, we always know he wants to heal. We always know he wants to save. And we know that he's merciful and gracious, slow 
to anger and abounding in mercy, as Psalm 103 says, David testifies because he should know because he, he impregnated Bathsheba and killed her husband lying. He knows the mercy of God and he's testifying. God is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in mercy. These are his ways. Showed Moses his ways and the children of Israel his acts. The ways of God is that he's merciful and gracious. Courage inspires courage. And back to the cross. The cross was a symbol of fear and control in the Roman time. They could have just executed people, but they didn't just execute people. They put people on a cross as a public display, and it was as if the early days of the American history when they would hang people, but they just wouldn't hang people. They would call up a whole group of people to come and watch the hanging so that there would be a demonstration of what it looks like for a person to rebel against the, the, the rulers of the day, they wanted to instill fear into the hearts. Don't do that because we're not just going to kill you. We're going to hang you. And you're going to choke and die in front of everybody. And they tried to bring fear about it. That's what the cross was. The cross was designed by the Greeks and perfected by the Romans. They took something that was already bad and made it worse. They beat you 41 times with the lashes because on the 42nd time, they found that most people died on the 42nd time. So they whipped Jesus 47, 42 times, 41 times. And they didn't just whip him in the one place. They started at the top of their neck and worked their way all the way down to his angle, ankles. By the end of it, he just had one huge open wound. And they did that so that they could bring fear to the people. This is what it looks like to rebel. Hung him on a cross, banged a crown of thorns in his head, marred him beyond recognition. They beat him so badly, his mama wouldn't have even recognized him. He was marred beyond recognition. How bad do you have to beat somebody to the point where they can't even recognize their face anymore? And yet God, the son of the living God, this God who never sinned, he was perfect in every way. He chose to embrace this death. He didn't have to. He said, they don't... Nobody takes my life from me. I could get angels to come to my defense. But for the joy set before me, endured the cross because he was laying down his life in love. And the Bible says in Hebrews that we got to take up the mind of Christ, the same mind that was in Christ that humbled himself to be born as a baby, to take on flesh and blood. He took on our flesh and blood so that he can identify with our weakness. He knows what it's like to be tempted to sin. He understands that. God can't be tempted, but this is why he was made a little lower than the angels, made a human man. So everything that he did was as a man in right relationship with God so that he can demonstrate what's possible for us. If sin is not an issue because it's not because it's by his blood, it takes away all of our sin. This is my blood sheds for the remission of sin. So for the believer, sin's not an issue. But he said, I only do what I see the Father doing. I only say what I hear him saying. So the life that you see in Jesus is possible for the believer if you're submitted to him, to the spirit of God, just like Jesus was. The gap that you see between your life and Jesus is the gap to surrender. The more it closes, the more that you'll see the works that he does, you'll do as well. We have to have that same mind, which didn't equate himself equal God, even though he could be, but made himself a little lower, made himself a servant, and humbled himself to the point of death on a cross. He said this, this is my commandment. If you obey my commandments, John chapter 15, then you'll bear fruit. But if you don't, you're not going to bear any fruit. You can't do anything unless you abide in me. Anything. Say nothing. You can do nothing unless you abide in me. And this is how, by the end of that abiding, because he says, if you don't bear fruit, you're good for nothing and be thrown into the fire. By the end of that, I'm like, I want to abide. How do I abide? He said, if you obey my commandments as I obey my father's commandments, then you'll abide in me. 
just as I obey in my Father's commandments and abide in his love, he said, this is how you obey, obey my, this is how you abide, you obey my commandments. And this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Goes on to say, no greater love than this than a man lay down his life for his friend. The commandment, how we abide, how we live, is that we lay down our life for one another. Love looks like something. It looks like laying down your life. I can talk about fearing man. I can read scripture after scripture about not fearing, but it's not going to do any good. I could talk about evangelism. I could do some training and equipping like I'm doing this morning, but it's not going to do any long-lasting good. I've done that before. I can stir you up, and by gritting your teeth and feeling guilty about yourself, and not, I'm not doing enough for the gospel, you might be able to do it for two weeks. In order for this to be a lifestyle for you, you have to have the baptism of fire. You have to surrender. You have to literally lay down your life. You can't live for retirement. You can't live for any other reason but that Jesus would be famous. Every idol in your life has to come down. Every single thing. He's not willing that you have any other lovers. It has to be to the point where we say everything, God. I will live my life for you. I want to know this love. I want to be compelled by this love. Because he said this, if you try to save your life, you'll lose it. But if you lose your life for my sake, you'll find it. Abundant life is following the way, the big W way, which is Jesus. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And there is no other way to the Father except through me. If you want to follow me, take up your cross and follow me. It's the way of death. One more story, and then we'll do an activation. We'll be done. Is that okay? I had a young man I was discipling, bad background, brothers in gangs, drugs and alcohol, all that kind of stuff. Dad was in and out of jail. Mom was an addict to heroin. Came home after getting a gaming system for Christmas from his grandparents. And his mom had pawned it off and she was ODing on heroin in the back room. As an 11-year-old boy, he sees that, calls the paramedics. Calls his brothers. His brothers beat the paramedics to the scene. He's in the corner, curled up in a ball, weeping and crying. Can't move. They can't stop him from crying. And they're trying to get him out of there so social services doesn't take him. So they beat him. Man up. This is life. He decides in that moment, I'll never cry again. Fast forward years later. He's 16 years old, about five years later. He's in my discipleship group. The Spirit of God starts moving. Some people are shaking, rattling, and rolling on the ground. Some people are crying. Some people are laughing. And here he is over here in the corner. And I'm like, that's a weird manifestation, man. I've been to Bethel. I've seen some stuff. That's weird. <laughs> Two days go by. I go up to him. I say, hey, man, every time the Spirit of God moves, you do this mm thing. Is that the Holy Spirit? He's like, no, this is how I stop my tears. He tells me the story I just told you. I say, come with me. I brought him into the bathroom, stood him in front of the mirror, and I read to him the shortest, version, the shortest verse in the Bible. Jesus wept, period. Paul, with many tears, wept. And I told him, multiple men of God through the Bible who wept, real men cry. And then I said what I said, I'm going to say to you right now to him. I said, God loves you because he loves you because he loves you because he loves you because he loves you. And I'm telling you this. He loves you because 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 he loves you just because he loves you just because he loves you just because he loves you because he loves you. Because he loves you, because he loves you, because he loves you, just because he loves you, because he loves you, because he loves you, because he loves you, and he's always going to love you, and there's nothing that you could do about it.
And as I say that, he begins to cry. And he goes from the guy who never cries to the guy who always cries. Anybody know what I'm talking about? You just say Jesus, and they're like, ooh, 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 ooh. I love those guys, man, because their hearts are tender towards the Lord, and they, used, they tend to be leaders. And that's what he was. He was leading everybody up. Everybody was more on fire because of him. He would leave a church gathering, go win like 10 people to Jesus, and come back and bring them back to Jesus. I mean, everybody was going higher because of him until about two weeks from the end of the school. He starts rebelling, touching girls in the wrong places, staying out past curfew. Anything he could do to get in trouble, he was doing it. I gave him warning after warning after warning. Eventually, I said, I came to the other leader. I said, I'm going to have to send him home. I'm going to have to send Richard home. Breaking my heart. He's my favorite student, but he's taking the whole other students down. I got to send him home. I don't want to do it. And she had the heart of the father. She said, you know what she said? No, just one more chance. That's the heart of the father. See, we give up on people too easy. 1 Corinthians 13, we have all kinds of excuses. We're not going to help them unless they help themselves, all this kind of stuff, you know. And I understand there's a thing about empowerment, but it doesn't mean that we disengage. She said, just one more chance. See, the father, see, the disciples came to Jesus and said, how many times have we got to forgive? He said, seven times 70. In other words, until it's complete. I say, okay, one more time, one more time. I'll forgive him, okay. I go down into the basement. I say, man, Richard, why are you doing this, man? I love you. He said, I don't even know what love is. You say you love me. You say God loves me. I don't even know what love is. And I'm so glad for my advantage, the Holy Spirit, because I explode right back in his face. I said, there's a gun right here. One of those gangbangers is right here. And I looked at him. I said, look at me in the eyes, man. There's a gunbanger right here. There's a, there's a gang member right here. You get to choose. You take the bullet or I take the bullet. Who's taking the bullet, Richard? Choose. And with tears running down his face, he said, I choose that. I take that bullet for you, Richie. I said, don't you dare tell me you don't know what love is. You just love me. Love looks like something. It looks like laying down your life. Fire always falls on acceptable sacrifice, but the only acceptable sacrifice is a life that's laid down in love. You've been given enough. You've been given the gospel. Even as the Lord Jesus said, do not put your light under a basket of fear. I want to tell you, there is a cost to putting your light under a basket of fear. People's lives are at stake. Those guys would have committed suicide if we were to bow down to fear. Somebody in this neighborhood will get drunk tonight and go home and beat the hell out of their wife tonight. That's the reality. Because they don't know what you know. They don't know the gospel. Somebody is going to go cheat on their spouse because they don't know what you know. Somebody's going to get in a car. I'm not trying to prophesy. I'm just saying. Statistics say somebody's going to get in the car and, and destroy somebody else's life, kill somebody's mom or brother or dad or kid because they don't know what you know. It's time for the church at large to say no to fear and yes to love. Because those who don't love but fear don't know God. This is what 1 John 4 says, that those who fear have not been perfected in love. I believe that God wants to baptize us in love tonight, but it comes from a place of true surrender. 
This morning, I believe that God wants to initiate a revival in this region, but it's going to come not just because Jared or Joe is preaching the gospel, but so every single person in this place begins to take up the great commission for what it is and not the great suggestion. The great commission is not the great com- uh, suggestion. It's the great commission. It's not an option. It's, an, it's a commandment. And those who love him will obey his commandments. People's lives are at stake. We got to begin to preach the gospel. Amen. And listen, it ain't a hard thing. It's the, easy, it's, the thing, it's the thing that you were created for. It's the thing that will give you life. God knows that you will experience fullness of life as you step out of selfishness and you step into laying down your life for one another. And it can be creative. It can look like generosity. It can look like, how can I pray for you? It can look like anything. If we got to choose rejection in order for somebody to accept Christ, then I'm willing to do that. Reject the way. Come on. Stand at your feet. Can you guys get that uh, Take Courage video ready? We're going to do an activation. First of all, I want to say this. The Spirit of God is in this place right now. I don't. It's not a, I don't want to just move people's emotions, but I want to say this. The Spirit of God is in this place, and that faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. Today, I preach the gospel, and every single one of us is going to stand before God and give an account for our life. And the Bible says that we've all sinned, and that the wages of our sin is death. So every single person in this place has sinned, and you deserve death, and you deserve judgment. But Jesus Christ went to the cross in our place. The just for the unjust. He became unrighteousness so that we could become righteous. He is the plan of God for salvation. There were two thieves on the cross. The one on the left identified Jesus. The one on the right said, if you're really the son of God, take yourself off that cross and prove yourself. He wanted to prove himself. He had unbelief in his heart, and he mocked Jesus. But the other one looked over at Jesus and said, do you not have any fear of the Lord? This man between us doesn't deserve the cross. We deserve the cross. And he looked at Jesus and he said, remember me this day when you go into, the, into heaven to be with your father. And that, in that moment, Jesus looks at him and says this, today you'll be with me in paradise. I want to tell you, that man did nothing to deserve his salvation except for acknowledge that Jesus was the son of man. All of humanity will find themselves in one of those two people. And there are people in this room that if you were to be honest, you would say, I don't know Jesus. I might even grown up in church, but I don't know him. I don't know that I'm right with God. If I was to die tonight, I don't know that I'd be right with God. But as I'm sharing this gospel, there's an opportunity for you to get right with God. The Holy Spirit is here, and I know he's touching people's hearts, and you're going to find yourself in one of those two criminals, one that mocks and stays in unbelief, or one that's humble and realizes you deserve the cross that he paid for you, and you receive by faith and humility the payment for your sin. And in that moment, I can assure you, you will be saved. If that's you and you want to give your life to Jesus Christ today and you want to acknowledge that he died on a cross and resurrected from the dead and you want forgiveness of sins, you want to become right with God, raise your hand quickly. Thank you for your boldness. Thank you for your boldness. Thank you for your boldness. Two, three, four, five, six. Another person, keep your hand raised high. I know there's more people in this room. 
If you're feeling your heart racing, if you're feeling your palms get sweaty, that's the Holy Spirit. Do not reject him today. Today is your day of salvation. Don't stand before him and say, I rejected you that day. Don't be ashamed of it. Don't be ashamed of it. Don't be caring what other people think. It's not about what other people think. Jesus said, if you're ashamed of me in front of men, I'll be ashamed of you in front of my Father who's in heaven and all of the angels. Don't be ashamed of him. He wasn't ashamed to take the cross for you. Today is your day of salvation, and it's time to not to everybody to close their eyes for you to boldly say, today is the day I'm living for Christ. From this day forward, you're going to start living for the purpose that you were created for, which is to lay down your life in love. If that's you, I want you to raise your hand if you haven't raised your hand already. And if you've already raised your hand, keep your hand up. Raise your hand again. Anybody else want to raise your hand to give your life to Jesus? Now, the next altar call I want to say is you know that you have fallen away. You've made a decision in the past, but you have not been living for Christ. But today, you want to make a decision to go all in. I don't want to live with compromise in your life. You, you are living with compromise in your life. And listen, there's sickness, there's pain in this world because the church is living with sin in the camp. And because there's sin in the camp and because there's will, I'm not talking about you messed up once and you feel bad about it. I'm talking about you are living in a lifestyle of willful sin. Jesus did not die for you to be in bondage. Grace does not give you permission to live in bondage. Grace empowers you from bondage. And today, there is opportunity to be free of sin, to be free of that guilt, and to be empowered by the Spirit, but it takes humility. I've seen leaders even do this. There's a stronghold in people's lives, but in their humility, God comes and crashes in and wipes the shame away, and they're empowered to be what they were always created to be. You were not born again to live in a lifestyle of bondage. Jesus saved us so that we can be free of sin. He said to the woman that was caught in adultery, go and sin no more. And with the commandment, he gave the power to go and sin no more. You're no longer a sinner. You're a saint. If that's you, raise your hand. Thank you for your boldness. 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 Thank you for your humility. Father, I thank you for those who are raising their hand. I thank you for the holiness of this moment. Now we're going to pray together. Everybody pray this. Jesus, you love me. And you're the Son of God. And you died on a cross for my sins. Your blood was shed to take away my sins. Your body was broken for me. Today, I receive your sacrifice by faith to atone for my sin. Cleanse me. Wash me. I receive it by faith. I believe you resurrected from the dead. And because you resurrected, I have been justified. I receive it by faith. And I commit my life today to following you with my whole heart with my whole mind, with everything that's within me. Now I renounce every spirit that I've invited into my life, consciously or unconsciously. I renounce it now and command it to leave now. And I receive your spirit, your Holy Spirit, to empower me to live a holy life 
to live a life of power and to be a witness. Now, Lord, I pray that you would baptize every person in this place with the Holy Spirit and with fire according to their heart, for you're not a lip reader, you're a heart reader. God, I ask that you would begin to fill people now and that you would begin to wipe away shame from people now and that people would begin to experience your power now in this place, that the power of God would begin to flow through people upon people. Father, I pray for the gift of tongues to come upon people and prophecy and boldness to proclaim the gospel in Jesus' mighty name. Now we're going to do an activation. The righteous are as bold as a lion. That's what the scriptures say. Boldness is not a personality type. Boldness is a yes in your heart. And those who say yes to Jesus are as bold as a lion. If you say yes to Jesus and your new identity is you're as bold as a lion, you are not shy. You are not a person who will submit to fear, for fear is not a spirit that's been given to you. You've been given the spirit of love. And today, there will be a mighty deliverance of the fear of man, the fear of rejection, the fear of being not measuring up. That is going to come off of people in this place. And there will be a boldness that comes upon this congregation. And there will be an infilling of this church with new believers and souls being saved because you'll be hospitable You'll create an environment for family, and because you'll lay your life down, this is a family thing. And so, Father, I thank you that as we do this activation, that there will be a mighty deliverance from fear as we do this. We're going to roar like lions now as an activation. I want you to roar like a lion, not like a kitty cat. As the Holy Spirit comes upon you, I want you to shout with everything you got. Roar like a lion. Go for it. Listen, there's some more. Listen, there's some more people in here. You didn't shout right there. There's some people that stand here in pride thinking you don't need to do that. But the reality is that God exalts those who are humble and brings low those who are prideful. Don't stand in your pride and think that's for somebody else and not for you. I'm telling you, there is freedom in prophetic acts, and God gave me this prophetic act to see something set free in people. So we're going to give you an opportunity to do it again, and there's no shame or guilt or anything. But I am, as the Apostle Paul says, like an ambassador, urging you to be free urging you, encouraging you to be reconciled completely with the life of Christ so that his life can fully be manifested through you. I'm going to give you another opportunity not to, not to yell from here. I want, you to, I want you to shout from here. Amen? Go for it. and play that. This is a song that I believe is a rallying cry, and I believe that God's going to baptize folks in the Holy Spirit. If you want to come up to the front to the altar, then you can. If you want to stay where you are, then you can. 
but I want to encourage you to be obedient to the Holy Spirit, whatever he's leading you to do. But I believe that there's going to be a mighty baptism of the Holy Spirit as we begin to declare this rallying cry that I believe is more than just a song. I believe it was inspired by the Holy Spirit for such a time as right now. And I believe that there's going to be a mighty infilling of the Holy Spirit as we declare this song with all of our hearts. And so as you play that, make sure you turn it up a little bit louder than what you normally would because I know that people, when they don't understand a a song, they kind of get nervous. But I want you to actually prophetically declare this over the church, over yourself, and over your family. Amen? Go ahead and turn it up. You start it over. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. La basson durubase cleamerebese. La clelia de la basson duribese cleamerebe. Thank you, Jesus. I know a way to fix it here. Started over and played on my on my uh, on my go. Ready now. Prophesy. Come on, lift up your voice. Prophesy. Yes. Yes.
Yes, Lord. Come, Holy Spirit, more, Lord. Yes, Lord. What our eyes have seen, our hearts cannot ignore. We'll lead this generation to the glory. Come on, sing it out. Make a declaration. Lift up your voice. Lift up your voice. Come Holy Spirit, come Holy Spirit, come Holy Spirit. Jesus is alive. Come on, prophesy it over Virginia Tech. Jesus is alive. Prophesy it over Radford. Prophesy it over America. Jesus is alive. Come, Holy Spirit. More, Lord. Yes, Lord. Come, Holy Spirit. Yes! 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 Come on! There's a yes! In our hearts! Come on, declare it. Simple obedience. Did yes? Simple obedience. In our hearts, shela baba bara masoto ibibibiki. Simple obedience. Lift up your voice. Jesus is alive. Up your voice. Yes, Lord. Holy Spirit is moving right now. I'm going to play one more, and if you need to leave, you can go ahead and feel free to leave, but I would encourage you not to rush God if you're not in a rush. But I'm going to play one more, and if you need to leave in that, then you go ahead and leave. I'm going to minister to people on the front here. If you need healing, I'd love to minister to you. But we're going to play this. This is Isaiah 6. 
It says, here am I, send me. And I believe there's going to be another wave of God's glory in this place. But I want to encourage you not to worry about the people to your left and to your right. Don't try to sing pretty. I want you to, I want you to declare from your heart. I want, I want you with everything within you because that when they were together with one accord, when it wasn't about a religious gathering, listen, half the people in the upper room left early. But for those who stayed and with one accord pursued God that says, it's not about my timeline. It's not about my religiosity. I want God. I refuse to leave here until I get touched by God. I want of infilling. I believe that God responds to that kind of hunger. And so I bless you and thank you for sowing into our ministry, for sowing into me, for coming this morning. And I want to encourage you, go and make disciples of the nation and let's pursue God in this. I'm going to take the microphone off and just begin to pray for people as we worship and praise.